Welcome to the 14th episode of Online Theatre Development Collaborative. I'm Neil Wexler, a playwright and filmmaker from Buffalo, New York. It's so awesome to be here with someone I often collaborate with, Glenn Stiller. Glenn, could you tell us about your work and how it relates to online theatre? I'm a professor at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. And I teach in a program that I helped create with a colleague about 15, 20 years ago called Digital Arts Communication. And my area of specialization is uh, filmmaking and video production. The, the sort of central question that I have in relation to online theater is what is the frame? What is the stage? And is a stage the same thing as a frame? Those are great questions, and maybe as a way to transition to them, I'd love to hear you talk about a short film you made. It's just a little over a minute called Gubbins. I've watched it about five times now. I think it's amazing. And if you could talk about that piece, both how it came about and how it fits in your trajectory as an artist and as a research professor. I'm really pleased that you wanted to bring up Gubbins. Out of a career of messing around with video and film and audio for 30 years, I think it's the best film I've ever made. And one of the ironies of that is that it was made uh, standing at my kitchen counter, pointing my camera out the window. I'm really inspired by the French director Jacques Tati, whose movie uh, Playtime in particular. He always shoots a long shot or extreme long shot. The camera doesn't move, uh, the action just moves in and out of the frame. It has sort of an appearance of everyday real life, but clearly he was staging everything. I wanted to take that concept a little further and during the beginning of the pandemic, I, like a lot of people thought, well, what can I produce if I'm in lockdown? So I just, noticed uh, looking out my windows of my house that there were a lot more people on the street in my neighborhood because of uh, people not being at, at work and so on. I always noticed that if you just sort of stand and watch <laughs> for a few minutes, usually something um, rhythmic, something patterned, something for me therefore interesting starts to happen. This might sound a bit odd, but if you actually just sort of watch someone anonymously on the street for a minute, they'll do something that shows them to be extraordinarily human and noble, ridiculous, and bland and plain all at the same time. And at, if you're lucky, you've set your camera up, uh, you've created a, a framing, a point of view on the world, and now that we've created a point of view, a stage, a frame, now things can happen in there. And with the Gubbins film, I happened to be looking out of my neighbors, uh, the side of their house across the street from me. There was house painters. And it was just three of them, two guys trying to set up a big tall ladder and another guy trying to set up a short ladder against the house just to get working. And I called the film uh, Gubbins because it was a word I I don't know, my father used, I've heard for years, and I always thought it just referred to like your stuff, you know, like in, maybe a, a junk drawer is full of gubbins. Anyhow, kind of a funny word, and I thought that it sort of matched the action in this short film of the guys setting up their painting equipment. What I was exploring was what happens when you do take a slice of time 
you don't edit into it. So in a sense, it's live, like theater's live in that sense. You know, we don't get to cut and then jump to a different time and place. There it is. So this gets me thinking about what might be different ways we can use this online space, perhaps a little differently. I suggest that we turn the cameras outwards and we've all turned the cameras inwards in our Zoom sessions and it, so on and so forth. But there's theater kind of going on all the time around us. How we frame it and how we see it is what interests me. Totally, and I think text-based work can learn a lot from a silent film like Gubbins when it comes to these questions about what's in the frame. For me, the biggest challenge with presenting a play online is that the words can seem trapped behind the screen. There has to be a way to unlock them, and I'm just curious about your thoughts on how what we see plays into that, and how all of this might connect to the world of silent film, and to Govins in particular. The relationship that I see between these kinds of films like Gubbins and say working online with other people in different locations etc theater when someone's speaking I think we our mind's eye gets close to them if we're connected with the speech I I think people should explore the idea that we can hear them but we don't necessarily have to see them this is what I mean by turning the camera away here we are in this medium where it's live, but it's a much more mediated live, obviously. I can't look away, right? Right now, you know, we're, we're looking at each other through FaceTime. I mean, all I can really do is move the camera, go off screen. What does it mean if I'm off screen, yet you can hear me? How might we exploit that in a production by turning the camera away from ourselves in the same way that visually the frame is a selection of what can be out there and is also a deflection, right? I'm not showing you. All the things that aren't in the frame are meaningful too because I'm not showing you that, right? Why can't that happen with speech and with dialogue as well? There's got to be more available, I think, than just turning on the camera and sitting in front of it. The language has to come through, which requires great delivery, rhythm, intention, if we just replicate TV or film camera switching, you run into the problem of trying to foreground both audio and visual. And I think the audio winds up getting diminished. When I think of a great line, I wonder what it would be like to look for the person who's delivering it or to wonder what that person is reflecting on. So there's a visual search to help draw out the audio. What are your thoughts on that and just on this issue in general of how we conceptualize this. I think a return to just what is going on when we mediate ourselves this way is a focus on the frame, is a focus on the ear, you know, how do we hear what, not just what do we hear, but how do we hear it? Not just what do we see, but how do we see it? To me, this is a real opportunity to rewrite the grammar by trying to break some of the rules it still has to be about the voice and, and how that makes other bodies vibrate as they listen. To me, the visual can come after that and hopefully sort of support it and not try and supersede that aspect of it. So, you know, lots of tools at our hands. Let's think about, you know, using them in different ways and ways that enable 
more of us to get involved different kinds of people to get involved different sorts of stories to be told and explored one thing to think about is self-tape which almost all actors will have to do even beyond the pandemic how does one improve line delivery both the delivery itself and the presentation by exploring these questions we've been discussing imagine for a moment a bad line reading from the opening of romeo and juliet where the words are delivered like a big banner two households when the key is two households there are two of them and how that word too helps build the trajectory. How might what you've been saying about gubbins and framing ultimately help an actor with nuance in delivering a line and presenting it to show that you understand the material when you're doing your self-tape? For me, I invite dialectic through framing and through timing and through rhythm. Their movement was a rhythm that becomes dialectical in the sense that if your eye catches that, you're seeing a kind of dance that is more than just guys setting up a ladder. It's like guys setting up a ladder, but they sort of strangely seem to have matching action or these little repetitions that create texture. So my question was, is there dialectic in this thing? Is there a toing and froing where there's no words or anything else? I think there is. If you stay with Jacques Tati's playtime long enough, you realize the dialectic is, what does it mean to see things this way? With the idea of taping yourself as an actor, perhaps for purposes of audition or just trying some ideas out, I think that the dialectic goes out the window right away when we just set up our camera and then start doing whatever. Maybe that starts to be as artificial as the bad Romeo and Juliet, two houses, when, as you say, really, this has to do with the idea that a simple little thing like there's two, two-ness, there's division. So if division, will there be congregation in the future? That's dialectic, right? Because it raises that question. How do we do that now with trying to collaborate, you know, synchronously or asynchronously, all of these things? Even within that, everything is still always a rhythm of the voice, the timbre, and it's the framing, what you can see, and therefore what you can't see. So I think with a little ingenuity or a little cleverness, maybe a little playfulness, we can all in different styles find that. Everyone's got something interesting in their life and in their immediate environment that would help that along. Something that, that reaches out and asks a question of the viewer as a way to engage them. Definitely. And I think what's so fascinating is how much the eye relates to the ear and vice versa. And that self-taping and the online space are very good ways to explore those relationships. I made those silent films because I love the voice so much. Now that's paradoxical, right? I want actually when you watch Gubbins or you watch the one called I'm a Bit Chilly, which is about just people moving around on the street again in a beautiful rhythm, but right at the end, the little girl rides up on her bicycle and holds her shoulders, you know, sort of says to her mom, I'm a bit chilly. I don't think her mother heard her. I couldn't hear her, but I could certainly read her lips. And from her gesture, I knew exactly what she was saying. To me, that's like hilarious. She, you know, that her family's brought her out. She's in a little t-shirt. She's kind of cold. 
And the way she did it, she wasn't saying, I'm cold and she was complaining. It was, I'm a little bit chilly. You know, <laughs> I know it sounded like that. And to me, that's the key. So again, language. I think if we go back to what does voice do? It can be loud or soft. It can be rough or smooth. It can have rhythm or it can be arrhythmic. All of those wonderful things. Same thing with framing. And I mean the basics, like what happens if we move the camera half the distance closer and then half again? Or what happens if we take it and put it way out there or we do it from above? Like all of those things change the meaning potential of whatever you're trying to represent, right? To represent, but is to represent something. The presentation has happened. The voice dies on the wind. The guys get their ladders set up. But, you know, within those moments, there's all kinds of uh, play in the grammar, I think, that's available to us. And, you know, I think we need to ask those questions. What does sound sound like? What does the frame let in and what does it keep out? That creates such huge potential. This has been so much fun, Glenn. I'll put the links to Gubbins and I'm a bit chilly in the episode description. I encourage everyone to check those out. It's always great to share ideas with you, and hopefully we'll be doing even more of that in the online space. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks, Neil, for having me. It's been a, a real pleasure, and I really look forward to collaborating with the community that you're really helping to build. <laughs>